Morning, Calvary. My name is Weston Bauer. My family and I have been attending Calvary for 13 years now. I'll be reading from Daniel 6, 1 through 10. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to God as he had done previously. Thanks, Weston. Well, this is uh, an interesting weekend on the calendar. It is right after the school year ends. It is an extended uh, weekend. And so it's, it's one where maybe you saw this in your neighborhood where just dust was kicked up as families were jetting out of the neighborhoods to go on vacation. So I am grateful for you all being here as we wrap up our series that we've been in looking at the life of Daniel from the book of Daniel. And as we are reaching the end of the, the story, the end of the narrative, there's, there's been quite a lot that's changed since we began the series. Back in chapter one, we were, we were told about Daniel, this teenager who was ripped from his home and forced into exile in the land of Babylon. But now we get to chapter six, where we read about Daniel, who's, who's probably 80-something years old, and he's, he's no longer this, this teenager figuring out the, the lay of the land. He's in this tremendous position of authority there. Uh, let, you also look back at chapter 1, and at the time, the king of Babylon was a man named Nebuchadnezzar, and not only since then has he seen kings come and go, gone through multiple different kings, he's gone through multiple different kingdoms as the Medo-Persian Empire has conquered Babylon, and that is now who he's under in the city of Babylon. So while all of this has been changing in the narrative, there's, there's something that's been consistent throughout and that's Daniel's character. 
his focus, what it is that drives him to, to respond to God, to follow God alone, even in this culture and society that where there's pressures to turn away from him, to, uh, where there, there's uh, values that are in place that are contrary to what God values, what he has that is his foundation has not changed. And that is that he is faithful to God. And we see that all throughout this chapter as well. But we've been seeing it every bit of the book. You think of back in chapter one, where, where Daniel refuses to eat the king's meat, instead uh, is faithful to God. In chapter two, even with his life on the line, Daniel is faithful to God. In chapter four, while giving bad news, he's still telling Nebuchadnezzar to be faithful to God. And then last week in chapter five, rather than giving in to the pressures of power and, and money, Daniel instead was, can, can you possibly guess what he was? He was faithful to God. Yeah, thank you for participating. I appreciate that. All throughout this book, Daniel's been faithful to God. And that's the case of this chapter as well. We're, we're told that he's been working really hard. He, he's gotten this reputation of being a diligent worker that's seeking the best of where he's at, that's uh, done really well for, for the King Darius of the Medo-Persian Empire. And, and this has gotten him some consideration. He's going to receive yet another promotion. And yet these, these satraps that are there, these local rulers, those who would have been his rivals for promotion, they are upset and they want to find a way to get him out of the way so maybe one of them can get this promotion instead. But as they look at his character, they look at his work, well, there's nothing there. There's no reason to accuse him. So they go after his religion instead. And, and they go to the king, King Darius at the time, and they start to butter him up a little bit. Oh, King Darius, long live the king. You, you know, since you're such a, an important guy, since you're so powerful, why don't we make it so over the next 30 days, anyone who wants to pray, anyone who wants to ask the gods to help them in their lives, well, they have to pray to you. Because you're in this position of authority, like this is a way to honor you and build you up and remind everyone about how powerful you are. Why don't we make that a law? And you see, like, Darius's pride starts to swell a little bit. He's like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I like that. Let's make that a law. Next 30 days, anyone who wants to pray has to pray to me. And then we hear about Daniel, who knows that this law has been passed, and he then, well, just goes about his life. He continues to be faithful to God. He has this habit that he has of praying three times a day to God, and he just goes about doing that. He knows this law is passed. He knows he's not allowed to do this, but he remains faithful to God in this time. And because he's developed this habit, because he's known for praying in this way, these satraps come and they catch him in the act, and so they rush off to the king. And then they start with this, this annoying, feigned ignorance. You ever have those moments where someone like, is pretending not to know something and you're like, I, I know what you're doing and it's irritating. Well, they do that here. And they go to the kings like, ah, we're having a real hard time remembering. Wasn't there a law that you passed? Something about praying only to you for the next 30 days and, and anyone who, who breaks that law, they get thrown into a lion's den and Darius, not sensing the trap, he says, yeah, of course, that's a law. We've written it. Laws can't be changed. Uh, that, that was a thing back at the time. If, if kings could change law, then it made them look incisive or they didn't know what they were doing and they're supposed to have all this authority and power. And if they're wishy-washy on things, like they don't really look powerful. So they made it a law that 
no one can change laws, which is great, except for if you run into issues where you want to change the law and it just goes into all these problems. But yes, that's the law. You have to pray to me. Anyone who doesn't, thrown into a lion's den, no one can change that law. Well, the trap has been sprung. Well, this Daniel, then they go to his heritage, this outsider, this foreigner, he's been praying to his God. Clearly, he doesn't care about you. Clearly, he doesn't care about anything that you say. You have to hold him accountable to this. And Darius, we're told, is upset. Not that the law was broken, but he cares so much about Daniel. It says that he's inconsolable. He's trying to do whatever he can. How can we make an exception for Daniel? But there's nothing to be done. Daniel must go to the lion's den. Pick up the story in verse 16. It says, the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, that you are faithful to, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. His fate is sealed. And the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him. No food, no, no wine, no, no sources of entertainment, which I'm not going to go into what those would have been. But no diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And he came near the den where Daniel was and he cried in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. uh, My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I've done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was, was taken out of the den, and no harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. So we see the, these uh, really vivid descriptions of, of the king Darius' response. He's, he's exceedingly glad at one point. He's crying out in anguish, and there's a lot to where he's really likable in the story. And then we're reminded that, that these people who aren't following God, like there's never acknowledgement of, my God, may our God serve you well in this. It's always Daniel's God. There's this acknowledgement that even when people look good like this, they're not always the heroes of the story because then Darius takes those satraps who made these accusations against Daniel, which we may not like them in the story, but they haven't done anything wrong. A law was placed. They kept that law. Well, Darius is so upset in the moment that he takes those satraps, throws them in the lion's den, them, their wives, and their kids, and they all die. Not, Not the hero of the story, Darius. Instead, I want to look at how Daniel continues to be faithful to God throughout this entire chapter. How how we see this faithfulness. It's brought up multiple times. Is the God that you continually serve, is the God that you are faithful to, did he save you? Is he going to save you? Hopefully he saves you. He has this reputation of being faithful to God. And I think there's a few different ways that we see him do this throughout this chapter. The first way that we see uh, Daniel is faithful to God who establishes kings. Daniel is faithful to God who establishes kings. He recognizes that, that God is the one who establishes those in authority, and by responding well to them, he is demonstrating that he is being faithful to God. 
because you think about how that chapter started off, which Weston read for us. It talks about how, how he's got this great spirit inside of him, how he's working hard, how he's doing all this that's great for Darius. He, Darius isn't losing any money for him. He's, he's doing so much to show respect and care and support for this king that is in place. And it makes me think of Jeremiah chapter 29, which I know we brought up multiple times throughout the series, but I think for good reason. Jeremiah 29 is God's instructions to the Jews on how they are to live while in Babylon. So as we're looking at this book that takes place while in Babylon about how did they live there, that felt like an important thing to be looking at. And so as he's giving them the, these instructions about how are they supposed to live in the society that doesn't value God, doesn't value what God calls them to value. Instead, there's this pressures to, uh, to give in, to, to be just like the culture around them. What are the instructions that God gave to them? He said, build houses, plant gardens, plan on being there for a while, and then also seek the welfare of the city that you are in, to do good where you're at, to, to make things better where you are. And even in these kings that are there, to seek the welfare of the city means seeking their welfare as well, to do, as good, uh, do the good that you can for the sake of the city and showing your faithfulness to God. Hey, and it comes with questions. I mean, how are you able to live this way? To be in this culture that's so contrary to what you believe, that, that just by being there, there's this pressure, even if you don't feel it, this pressure to be like the culture around you? How do you support these kings that are so contrary to what God calls us to do? How, how do you seek their welfare when, when they're, they're doing things that, that are evil? Or, or even now that, that uh, the Medo-Persian empires there, they've conquered this place that Daniel has called home for 60-something years. How do you not support undermining this new regime? I mean, there's a difference between acknowledging, all right, I have a new overlord. There's a difference between acknowledging them and actually seeking to do good on their behalf. How does he live in this way? Well, it all goes back to that phrase that we've seen multiple times throughout the book of Daniel that we keep coming back to again, that it's the most high God who rules over the king, reigns over the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he wills. Now, we've looked at that phrase as a bit of humbling for these kings. We've had multiple prideful kings who say, this kingdom is the work of my hand, my power, all for my glory. And the correction for that is, no, it's the most high God who reigns over the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will. So everything that you have, even your position, has been given to you by God. But there's a bit of humbling for those of us who may not be kings. I, I don't want to make assumptions about you. Maybe, maybe you have some sort of royal bloodline going on. But for the rest of us, we find ourselves under people in authority. And there's a bit of a reminder in that verse as well, that it's the most high God who reigns over the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he wills. So those people in authority over us, they have been given that position by God. And so what we see in this, that this is the God who establishes king, the God who puts people in positions of authority. So we demonstrate our faithfulness to him by seeking the welfare of those he's put in authority. This is what we read in Romans chapter 13. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. This is governing authorities, anyone in a position of authority. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. He gives it to whomever he wills. 
and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. I read from Romans 13. I also could have done Titus 3.1 or 1 Peter 2.13 or Isaiah 45.1. I bring that up to say the Bible says over and over again that we are to submit to every governing authority. And why is that? Because God has given them that position. And so we demonstrate our faithfulness to God by responding to those that he has put in positions of authority by seeking the welfare of the city, seeking the welfare of those that he has put in charge of things, we are demonstrating that we are faithful to the one who ultimately has authority, to the one who is over all things, which is God. And so what we see, the Bible is very clear on, is that the default position of someone following God is to submit to every governing authority. Every position of power, every position of influence that is put over us is there by God, and by default, our, our instinct, our normal reaction is to obey those that God has put in authority. What does this look like? Well, submitting to every governing authority means that when we are told that we have to obtain a permit to have a group gathering or to do some sort of work on our house that we've paid for that's on our property and we're being told that we have to get this permit, well, we have to get that permit. When uh, submitting to every governing authority means that when we have a tax rate that's set for us, even if we think it's unfair, it's prohibitive, well, we pay that tax rate. Submitting to every governing authority means that when a stop sign is put on an intersection that never has traffic, well, we stop at that stop sign. It means that when someone is put in authority, we, we not only obey them, but we seek their good. Elsewhere, we're told to pray for, for people in positions, that we are seeking good for that person who's in authority. And that comes out in how we speak about them. That how our conversations about people and authority, the, the posts that we put on social media, is done so in a way that remembers that God has instituted every governing authority. Submitting to every governing authority means that when a law is passed, big or small, regardless of the impacts that it has on us, if we think, man, I would never have passed this law, well, we obey it. Because God has instituted every governing authority. And out of our faithfulness to God, we obey those that he's put in authority. And the default position of the Christian is to submit to every governing authority. Now, the, the question that, that always comes, and it comes quickly in our minds is, yeah, but what about? It's always the what about. So what about when there's unjust law? What about when someone gets their position of authority through, through uh, ill-gotten means? Uh, what, what about when uh, I am being told that I need to give something up, some, some rights that, that I feel I should have, some freedom? What about, I mean, this, that, or the other? And we can talk about this, that, and the other. But, but I do think there's a danger when our, when our mind goes to, how can I get out of what God's calling me to do? I, I think that's a dangerous way to approach the Bible, that when it's overwhelmingly clear that the default position of, of Christians, those following God, is to submit to governing authorities, and our mind goes to, well, how can I get out of that? That's a dangerous way to read the Bible. Instead, we see that we are supposed to, by default, submit to every governing authority because they've been instituted by God 
And by being faithful to him, we seek the welfare of those he's put in these positions. And that's what we see Daniel do here as well. That he has uh, been unmoved in this changing of leaders that's going on all around him. There's this king, Nebuchadnezzar, evil king, not doing what's right, uh, what God calls all people to do. He's, he's, he's doing terrible things. But Daniel is unmoved by that and is faithful to God through that and seeks the welfare of this king. Then a new king comes in and he's unmoved by that. He seeks the welfare of this king and is faithful to God. And then this new king comes in and you could say with, with Darius, probably gets this throne by unjust ways. He came in and conquered this, this, this place. He kills someone so that he can be on a throne. That, that's not a great way of, of succeeding the throne. And yet Daniel's unmoved. He's faithful to God and he seeks the welfare of this king. He, he's, he's really unbothered by what's going on around him. That his eyes are so focused on being faithful to God that, that what's going on in this kingdom doesn't rattle him, doesn't shake that. He just continues plowing ahead in faithfulness to God. But he's an unbothered participant in public life. That he does, also doesn't retreat from what's going on. That, that he goes with the punches, but he's also still there. He's still part of the city. He's still seeking its betterment on its behalf. In the midst of this place where there are laws that are passed that are wrong, that there are kings who, who probably shouldn't be on the throne, Daniel's this unbothered participant in public life who is constantly faithful to God. And he demonstrates that by submitting to these governing authorities who have been instituted by God. But there is an end point to that. And we needed to do that background because as I said, so often we try to get to that end point. While Daniel is faithful to God, who establishes kings, ultimately, he is faithful to God rather than kings. That there comes a point where we who are seeking the welfare of the city, we who are submitting to every governing authority, there is a point where that comes to an end. And that's when these governing authorities call through decree or law or position or whatever it might be, call for people following God to go against what God clearly says. And we see that in the passage. Verse 10, there, there are no bones about it. Daniel knows that this law is passed. You can only pray uh, to the king. You can't pray to your God for the next 30 days. He knows that this law has been passed and yet he goes and prays. He knows that there's a window in his house. He doesn't look up and he sees a face out there. He's like, ah, oh, I forgot about the blinds again. He, this also isn't an accident. Like, I, I, I've had this habit for a while. I, I forgot about the change. I'm so sorry. He's praying three times a day. His faithfulness to, to God is not an accident and it's not something to be hidden. He instead bodies what we read about in Acts 5.29, where the disciples are, are on trial and says, decide for yourself what's right. Should we be faithful to men or faithful to God? Decide what's right for you, but we will be faithful to God rather than men. Acts 5.29. And that's what Daniel demonstrates here, where there is this law that's put in place that calls him to go against what God clearly calls for him to do. He's gonna be faithful to God rather than men. And that's where we get to the exceptions of what we see the Bible call us over and over to do, to submit to every governing authority. In those places where there is a law or decree or something passed or, or something in place that calls us to go against what God clearly calls us to do, well, Acts 5, 29, we must obey God rather than men. 
We see Daniel do that here. Rather than giving his prayers, his allegiance, his affection, his worship to anything other than God, he's faithful to God. Famously, we see it in uh, Germany during World War II. Two, Corey Ten Boom uh, was, was hiding Jewish people during the Holocaust because she recognized that God's law calls for us to preserve life and the, uh, uh, sees the value that God has put in every single person. You still read about uh, news stories of, of uh, Christians, of pastors who are killed for refusing to, uh, to stop preaching the gospel for refusing to break the great commission of telling the whole world about who Jesus is. In all of these instances, these are people who, who are called to submit to all governing authorities, and yet the point where that stops is when those governing authorities call for us or call for Christians to go against what God clearly says. Now, here, here's the thing with that. That doesn't mean that we ever talk ill about people. That even, uh, we, we see it in chapter one, even as Daniel's going against the king, he's asking permission, he's being polite, he's being held accountable in that time. This doesn't mean that, that there's ever a time where, ah, I get to go against you now, yes! There's no delight in this moment. There's no wishing ill towards others. It also doesn't mean that we, we spend time trying to find loopholes of where is the exception that I can get out of following God's law? It also doesn't mean that we're always rescued from the consequences of this. That by going against governing authorities because we're faithful to God means that there might be repercussion from those governing authorities. Not everyone is rescued from a lion's den. But instead, what we do in this moment is we recognize that it's only God who's worthy of being faithful to. Only God who has all authority. Only God who is most high. Only God that gives us better promises. And while we might not be rescued from lion's dens, we know that his promise is true, that he will rescue us from the one who ultimately seeks to devour. Daniel is faithful to God as well through constant prayer that he has developed this habit, that this is what he's known for. He's praying to God three times a day, and that is how he's able to get caught here. They know just the thing that's gonna get him in trouble, go against his religion. He has this reputation. He is known by being a man of constant prayer. What I think is fascinating though, while we have Daniel chapter six here, which is probably the most famous chapter in the entire book, one of the most famous stories throughout the Bible, Daniel in the lion's den, none of this happens if it's not for all of the unwritten chapters that come before it. Because when we read uh, Daniel 6, chapter 10, uh, this is what it says. When Daniel knew that the document had signed, he knew that this law was passed. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he just started doing this very day. No, of course that's not what it says. As he had done previously. Daniel chapter six happens because of all the unwritten chapters of his life that came before it. Every day that's not so dramatic, every day that where, he, where he's not rescued from a lion's den, he is there faithfully praying to God. This habit that he's demonstrated, the rescue that happens in Daniel chapter six is because he had developed this habit of constant prayer. 
I, and maybe you're like me and I constantly, uh, maybe not constantly, eh, probably constantly. I, I have these images at least of, of doing these incredible things for God. The, these these uh, images that come to my mind that, uh, where uh, something's gonna happen. Maybe maybe I uh, am faithful to God to a lion's den and, and then he rescues me and thousands of people flock to following God because of, of my faithfulness. And then I think of the fact that how cool of a story, a, a dream that might be to have, am I developing those habits of faithfulness now? Because if I'm not doing those unspoken chapters, like in the life of Daniel, if I don't have this habit of constant reliance on God, constant prayer, living as he's called me to, uh, to do, why on earth should I expect that when things become difficult? And so this leads to a little bit of inventory for me. Am I, this, am I developing, am I known for a habit of prayer like Daniel was? It, not so that I could boast, not so that other people can, can look at me and I look particularly holy, uh, but from the facts of what we see in Daniel. Am I known to be this reliant on the God of all things for all things? Am I this predictable in my faithfulness? that I can get caught in it, for good or for bad. I also think that this, this habit, this faithfulness demonstrated through constant prayer is how Daniel is able to navigate those two points that we've already made. The Bible calls for us to submit to all governing authorities. It also calls us to obey God rather than men. That is a tough tension to maintain at times we will feel the pull to go one way or the other. Uh, maybe we just ignore what's going on all around us, that, that we, uh, we, aren't, uh, we aren't concerned about what's going on in this world, but that misses the call that God gives us to, be, to seek the welfare of the city, to tell the world about the gospel, and, and we're missing parts of what God calls us to do in that moment. Or the other part is uh, maybe we, we try to find those places that we can avoid listing uh, uh, to, or obeying to what the government's told us to. So what's our reaction in those moments? Is it defensiveness? Is it outrage? Is it blind acceptance of the world around us? Those seem to be hollow options. So instead we see Daniel's reaction, which is prayer. He hears this law is passed and he immediately starts praying. Do we turn to the God of all things for all things like this? Are we known for our prayer in these moments? Here we see Daniel is faithful to God, which is demonstrated through his constant prayer. And the last thing that I wanna focus on, Daniel is faithful to God through his competent work. He's faithful to God through his competence. As we, we think about what was said about him in the beginning, that he's, he's got this great spirit within him. He's doing all this incredible work uh, that he is, he's diligent. He, he's working as well as he can. And then we get the, the complaint that's made against him by, the, by these men who's trying to uh, accuse him in some way. This is what it says in verse five. It says, and these men say, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel. We keep looking at his character. We keep looking at his work and there's nothing, there's nothing there. There's no skeletons, there's, there's no day that he's slacking. There's nothing in his work unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So here we have these kings come and go and yet Daniel is faithful to the work that's been given to him. That he seeks to do as well as he can for the good of the city, for the good of those kings that are in place above him. 
I think it's fascinating that as we read through these six chapters, through three different regimes, King Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and now Darius, and through three different regimes, Daniel receives promotions and commendations. It's pointing to the fact that he, he's given this, this work, uh, and so he's seeking to do as good as he can in there. That's, we can notice that even in just the, the reactions to Daniel in this book. These the satraps looking for a reason to accuse him, and they find none. Uh, his, his work has been so competent. Darius and his reactions about Daniel is fascinating. He is devastated, inconsolable when Daniel's going to have to go to the lion's den. He is overjoyed when, when he's rescued. And, and why is that? Why does he care so much about this man? The only reason we're said is because of the nature of, the, of how he's worked, how much of a support he's been to Darius, how he has been faithful and diligent in working in what's been given to him, to doing as well as he can with what's been handed to him. And it's this reminder that God has all of us where he wills, that in the city that we live in, is because God has us in that place. The neighborhood that we're in, surrounded by those particular neighbors, is because we have the God who's in control of all things. The place of work that we find ourselves is because God has us in that place. And so wherever it is that we find ourselves, we demonstrate our faithfulness to him by seeking to work as competently as we can, as, as, as well as we can through his empowerment, for his glory, in the hopes that others might see him and know him. This accusation about Daniel was there. There's nothing that we could find in his work, and so we need to attack his religion instead. But it seems like the opposite might be true in our society now, that you tend to hear people speak against the evils of religion, about how uh, the ills that, that are there because of religion, when there is a reason to. You, you hear about the evils of Christianity when these stories of abuses come out. You hear about how dangerous and, and harmful uh, following Jesus is when you see the price tag of a pastor's private airplane. In these moments where, where the church is failing to be competent, failing to do what it's called to do, that's when you hear some of these evils of Christianity. But it's much more rare, I mean, sometimes you do, but it's much more rare to hear all the problems of Christianity that it seems to dry up when a church is making the news for paying off medical debt or when Christians are volunteering in a local school because no one else would do it. You, you tend not to hear about these complaints about Christianity when people are being cared for. But in either way, this, this goes to the point to, to where God has us where we will, where he wills. And we are, we are called to seek the welfare of the city. And as we are working, whether it's in our place of employment, in our neighborhoods, wherever it might be, as we are seeking to do as well as we can, that is a time that is, is for the glory of God, out of faithfulness to him, in a time that we hope others might turn to him as well. It, which gets us to where I want to leave our time this morning. It, we've had this series where we are looking at the life of Daniel. As he's living in this culture that doesn't value God or what God calls us to value, how does he remain faithful? How is he an example of what we've called the series, Winsome Living? How does he live in a way that is both for the glory of God and in a way that might help others turn to this God as well? And, and there are some ways that we can learn from that. I mean, we just went through them. That we see Daniel is faithful to God who establishes kings. He's faithful to God rather than kings. He's faithful to God through constant prayer. He's faithful to God uh, who, uh, through his competent 
work, those are all ways that we might follow a similar example. But the danger of a series like this, as we are looking at the example of Daniel, as we are looking at how do we live in a culture that's very much so like Babylon at the time, where there's pressure to turn away from God, where, the, where he is not exalted by all. The danger of a series like this, as we are looking at how Daniel is faithful to God, is that we might miss the God that Daniel's faithful to. And yet he has been the emphasis of this entire book. God has been the focus time and time again all throughout Daniel. You even look at why was Daniel rescued? Why is it said that he was pulled out of the, the lion's den unscathed? Look at Daniel 6.23. It says, Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. It says nothing about his constant prayer life. It says nothing about how he was just better than everyone else. He was more gifted it says nothing about how, how uh, incredible of a character he had. It was all about his God. That why was he rescued while others are not rescued from lion's den? It was because God decided to work in this time. Solely because of him. The focus is on God. You see that as well about how the chapter ends. Darius, the, this king who's not following God himself, ends the chapter by giving this praise about God. This is what he says in verse uh, 26. He says, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Would love it if he said before my God. Doesn't get there though, before the God of Daniel. But what does he say about this God? He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall never, uh, shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. We see in this, as we've been focusing on how uh, Daniel has been faithful to God all throughout the chapter instead, we see that uh, the nature of this God, that Daniel has been faithful to the God who delivers. Daniel is faithful to the God who delivers. He rescued him from the lion's den. And we trust in that same God as well. We know that he delivers us as well. Maybe from hardships in life, maybe from difficulties that we're going through, that, that he certainly can and does do that. But more than anything, we see that he is the God who delivers from sin, from its effects, from temptation, that he has rescued us from brokenness. And so how does that help us in, in the life that we're living? Well, we see that as we are confronted with loss or debts or whatever it is that we might come across, that we can deal with debts because our debt has been settled. That we can deal with, with disease and illness and sickness because the disease of sin has been healed. That we can deal with brokenness in this world because we have found restoration in this God. That is a God worth being faithful to. 
He, faithful to the God who rules, that he is the most high God who rules over the kingdom of, uh, rules, uh, reigns over the, uh, the, the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he wills. That there is never a moment that is outside of God's control. There's not a part of our life that he, that, that's just too unwieldy for him. There's never a corner of our earth that is outside of his authority. That he is the God who rules over all the world. That is a God worth being faithful to. And he's also faithful to the God who is alive. Why do we do this entire series looking at this book that is ancient, to understand how we live today. Well, it is because of the truth that Darius says, that this is a God who is alive. And so the instruction that's given about how to live faithfully for God all the way back then is the same instruction for us because we have a God who is alive. It is all because of who God is, not just who he was, but is in the present tense. It's all because of what God is doing, not just what he has done, but is doing in the present tense. It is all because of who God is that we live in response to him, that we are faithful to him, that we, do, uh, that we live in this way in the place wherever God has us be, no matter the time or place or culture we find ourselves in, no matter who our king or president or or satrap, or ruler, whoever it is might be, we live faithfully to this God who gave this promise to Daniel, who gives this promise to us as well as we look at the very last chapter of the book. Daniel chapter 12, verse three, gives this, uh, give this teaching. It says, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness, those who by their way that they're living help others turn to righteousness, they will shine like the stars forever and ever. I mean, how do we live in a world that can feel so dark? How do we be any sort of light in a place that seems to sap joy or hope or a reason to keep going on? Well, it's because we have a God like this, a God who was there with Daniel, a God who is living and active and working now, who is restoring all things. That is a God worth being faithful to. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this series in the book of Daniel. As we look at the life of this man and the incredible things that you did through him. And yet as we do so, let us be reminded that you are the hero of the story. That you are the one working in, in the pages that we read that you are the one doing these incredible things. You are the one who is in control of all. And so we look at this world and we remember those same things. You are the God who is working. You are the God who's in control of all. You are the one who's bringing people to know you. You're the one who's made salvation possible, the restoration of all things, the forgiveness of sins. And so as we look to live in a culture that doesn't value you, that doesn't value what you've called us a value, we turn to you for help. Help for faithfulness. Help to rely on you in our prayers. Help to work in the places that you would have us work. Help to, to submit to governing authorities that we don't always instinctually want to submit to. Help to know when and how to follow you, even when that goes against the laws of the land. God, you demonstrate over and over again that you are a God worth being faithful to. 
So help us to live lives of faithfulness because of who you are and what you are doing. So it's to you and you alone we pray.